You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Proverbs 21, 17 tells us what the oil and wine represent. The oil and wine are the very wealthy. And at first, the very wealthy survived the famine because they have so much wealth. But it's short-lived. And you get to verse 7, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and hell was following close behind him. People are dying. People are going to hell. Say, I don't believe in hell. You better tell Jesus that. Chances are, when you first heard or read Harm Not the Oil and the Wine in Revelation 6, you had a question or two floating around in your mind. While it can be easy to misinterpret the more mysterious passages of Revelation, this seemingly simple one has a fair share of misunderstandings as well. In today's message, Pastor Danny reflects on the deception of the rich in the end times. In his study, you'll learn how those with great power will foolishly think that they can escape God's judgment. Now here's Pastor Danny in Revelation chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Great Tribulation and Mercy of God. Jesus stands up to read from the scroll of Isaiah, and it's interesting, he reads, and we have it as Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom, freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or the year of the Lord's grace. And then it's interesting because for us, mid-verse, he read that part and then he sat down. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, he had to stop mid-verse because the last half of verse 2 is this, and the day of vengeance of our God. You see, in his first coming, the law came through Moses, grace and truth came by Christ Jesus. But there's a coming day when it's not an age, if you will, of grace. It's of vengeance. It's of judgment. In chapter 5 in our study of Revelation, John the Apostle sees the Ancient of Days. And we were very technical. That is the Father seated on the throne. He has in his hand a scroll sealed with seven seals. The question is asked, who is worthy to break the seals, open the scroll. John knows enough about the scroll that he is very distraught. He weeps. He weeps long. He weeps hard. We don't know how long, but he weeps for a long time. And then he's told to turn, stop weeping. He turns and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. 
And the lamb, interestingly enough, is a lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. There's no question who this is. This is Jesus. And he's told the lamb who was slain, he's worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. The scroll, we know, contains events that bring about the ultimate fulfillment of the plan of God in redemption. That's what the majority of the rest of our study in Revelation is about. But it involves vengeance. It involves judgment. And as odd as it may sound, it involves the wrath of the Lamb. The second half, Isaiah 61, verse 2. The day of vengeance. Some of you have been waiting for the gory part of Revelation. Well, guess what? This is your lucky weekend. We're there. And I pray it's serious. I pray it's sobering. Verse 1, chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. That's an instrument of war. And he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror, been on conquest. I'm surprised that some Christian commentators believe this is Christ. I don't believe at all this is Christ. Not at all. You get to Revelation chapter 19, you see Christ on a white horse. But he's different than the rider on this white horse. Christ has the diadema. It's the royal crown. And he not only has the diadema, he has many crowns. This dude has one crown. It's the Stephanos crown. It is a victor's crown. And he's given temporary victory as he goes out to conquer. You find him in Revelation 13, 16, 17, 19, and 20. And in all those chapters, he's called the beast. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's called the man of lawlessness. He makes his own laws. In John 17, he's called the son of perdition or the son of damnation, son of hell. In Daniel 11, he's called the king who does as he pleases because he's the man of lawlessness. Now, we know him best as the Antichrist. He's a false Christ who's against the true Christ. And here he comes, riding on a white horse, has a bow in his hand, given a crown. He rode out as a conqueror, been on conquest. Daniel chapter 7, verse 23 tells us that he will rule a future kingdom that I quote from Daniel 7, will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. And to be very technical, he gets his victory crown for really, really three and a half years. Three and a half years. Half of what's called the Great Tribulation, the seven-year period, also known as the time of Jacob's trouble because it's going to be a terrible time not only for the world, but for Israel and the Jewish people. This is the beginning, chapter 6, of the Great Tribulation. John is raptured. He sees the Father. He sees an innumerable number of angels giving praise to the Father and the Son. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth join in this heavenly anthem. 
But as heaven is singing. Why? Because Jesus is soon coming. But as heaven is giving out these great anthems of worthiness and praise to the one who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Then the lamb opens the first seal. And here comes Antichrist. Verse 3, when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. This is World War. But World War like we've never seen it in history. 10 million people died in World War I, 20 million in World War II. They said that was the war to end all wars, but I beg to differ according to the prophecies of the Bible. There's going to be one that puts both of those to shame. A world war like nothing the world has ever seen. And what follows war, especially a war like this one? Now, well, that's verse 5. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked. There before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. That's expensive food. This is famine. Always follows war. And a war on this scale, it's massive. The famine. But notice, and don't damage the oil and wine. Don't damage the oil and wine. Now, for you real students, you can write down Proverbs 21.17. Not going to take the time to turn to it. Proverbs 21.17. And Proverbs 21.17 tells us what the oil and wine represent. The oil and wine are the very wealthy. And at first, the very wealthy survived the famine because they have so much wealth. But it's short-lived. And you get to verse 7, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and hell was following close behind him. People are dying. People are going to hell. You say, I don't believe in hell. You better tell Jesus that. They were given power over a fourth of the earth. Now, guys, you, you just got to try to wrap your mind around this. I, I don't even want to. Over a fourth of the earth, the population, to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When the fourth seal is open and there's this world war like it has never been before, one-fourth of the population dies. As things go from bad to worse to cataclysmic, when we get to Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 to 16, another third of the remaining population perishes. That means, folks, according to Scripture, in this coming day, 50% of the world population dies. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and answered to the disciples' questions, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he begins to say there'll be wars and rumors of wars, there'll be famine, all these things. And then he says it's going to be a terrible time like has never been from the beginning of creation and never will be again. And then he says this, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. No one would survive. I don't know if you've ever gone online. Uh, you can go online and, and, and find the world population clock. I have no clue how they keep up with the population. Nanosecond by nanosecond. I went on it yesterday at 7.52 a.m. I noted what time it was. 
And I looked at the world clock, and it's changing like that. It's changing, you know. And, it, and I don't know how they keep up with it. It's amazing. And I had to, at one point, uh, somewhere around 752, write down what the world population was at that nanosecond, and it was 7,624,738,136. Why am I giving you that? I want you to get this in perspective. If the tribulation period took place somewhere, you know, around the time of the population of the world currently, how many people would die in that short period of time? A little over 23 times, here it is, 23 times the current population of the United States. I just can't even wrap my head around that. A little over 23 times the current population of the United States. I have no doubt in my mind, especially when you study other prophecies about this awful period coming upon the world, that nuclear weapons will be used. We could get nuked. And I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail, but the one thing in the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39, these nations, and it says all nations will one day come against Israel. That means either the United States has turned against Israel or we've been nuked. Well, you're getting me going down a trail here now. Don't do that. (laughs) I mean, it's just unfathomable how many people are going to die in this terrible time. And then verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And each of them was given a white robe and they were told something they didn't want to hear. Wait a little longer. Until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Some people are going to die martyrs' deaths because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up. And every mountain and island will remove from its place. It's my firm belief that Revelation chapter 6 is a quick panorama of this seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation. It's a big panorama. It climaxes, verse 15, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. They see the lamb. They see Jesus. He's coming. This is the climax. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Peter writes about this day, and here's what he says. Second Peter, chapter 3. By the same word, the word of the flood, when God for 120 years warned the population in that day, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, and it would be 
by means of a worldwide flood. Look, every ancient civilization has the story of an ancient flood in their history. The flood was real. It was universal. By the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. I'm sorry to ruin your American dream. But this is what's coming. This is what's clearly prophesied. That's what we need to talk about. Unfortunately, there are a lot of preachers and teachers in the church that don't talk about this kind of stuff. I don't, I don't get that. It's all throughout the Bible. There's so many prophecies about it. We need to know about it. It's going to be an awful time, but it's coming. It's the judgment of God. It's the day of the vengeance of God, where he begins to pour out his wrath on the present world. Four points about this judgment. It's a massive judgment. It's massive. Massive. It's enormous. It's huge. It's colossal. It's universal. Uh, It's not going to be where, you know, people are going to go, well, man, I'm glad I don't live over there. Look what's happening to them when they watch CNN. No, there's no escape. As a matter of fact, a lot of scriptures I could go to, but I've chosen Isaiah chapter 24 to drive home Uh, this particular point, how massive it is. Isaiah chapter 24, and let's just look at just a few verses here. Isaiah 24, uh, the first verse, see the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He'll ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It'll be the same for priests as for people, for master as for servant, for mistress as for maid, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. There comes a time when the very wealthy, their wealth won't buy them what they need. There comes a time when your status in life won't get you what you need. It's going to be the same for the poor, the rich, uh, the one in office, the one never even thought about an office, the one doesn't have an office. For everybody. You go down verse 11. In the streets, they cry out for wine, but there's no wine available. All joy turns to gloom. All gaiety is banished from the earth. There are no birthday parties. There are no Christmas parties. Thanksgiving. There's no, look, there's no, there's no gaiety. It's gone. Verse 19. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is thoroughly shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls never to rise again. It's a massive judgment. It's universal. It's like the flood in Noah's day. Nobody, nobody will escape. Not only is it a massive judgment, we must not miss this second point. We must not miss this. It's a moral judgment. Some people have a hard time. They read about this or they hear about it and they say, oh, that's a God. And some people think that the God of the Old Testament, he's the God of wrath. And wait a minute. It's the same God. Not two different gods. God didn't get saved from the Old Testament, the New Testament. God didn't become a Christian. It's a moral judgment. Just peek ahead. Revelation chapter 15. As things go from bad to worse to 
cataclysmic ultimately. Revelation chapter 15, verse 1, then I saw, John says, in heaven another angel, great and marvelous, uh, or another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, because with them God's wrath is completed. You go to Revelation chapter 16 and verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. And then I want you to note verse 4, as it begins to intensify, Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, here's what he says, you are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One, because you've so judged. For they've shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you've given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. It's a moral judgment. Absolutely holy. Absolutely pure. But I thank God for the third point. While it's massive, while it's moral, it's also merciful. It's merciful. I specifically, intentionally left out two verses in Second Peter a few moments ago, and I want to put that whole scripture up in the context. Second Peter again, only I've placed back the two verses, uh, so you can see it all in context. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As the martyrs call out, when are you going to end this thing? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now think about this. Why in the world does it have to be seven years? God could just go here, smack, you're done. When you get to the end of the book of Revelation, that's how God kind of ends the whole thing. When there's one final rebellion, it says he just, by the sword of his mouth, he just lays them out and that's over. But here's seven years, and it's a gradual intensity. Why? Because he wants people to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to perish. It's massive, it's moral, but it's also merciful. Go back with me. After chapter 6, look at chapter 7. Revelation 7, after this, I... Saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any other tree. Holding back the ultimate judgment. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, 2 Corinthians 1 are verses that tell us the seal of the living God is the Holy Spirit. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. These are called the elect as a whole group. Jesus said, for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Otherwise, nobody would survive. Then I heard the number of those who were seated. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel.
The book of Revelation isn't an easy book to study. It lays out for you the end of the world as you know it right now, and the devastation that will be falling on the world is overwhelming, and it can make you ache for the people who will have to endure it. It can also make you long for everyone you know to seek and find Jesus right now. Only He can save the people of the world from this terrible end, and His grace is available right now to everyone. Today, let Jesus bring to mind those friends, family, and even acquaintances that you can be praying for and actively sharing His gospel message with. We know that this isn't an easy task, so we'd like to support you in prayer. Please email us at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. We're so glad that you took some time today to learn from the living word with us. If you'd like to hear this teaching again, visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on sermons. You'll be directed to our YouTube page and would love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. That's all the time that we have for today's message. Join Pastor Danny next time to continue digging deeper into the scripture right here on The Living Word.